Oh no, it's that crazy guy again. Uh-oh, too much fun. So let's uh, continue with my Rolex saga. Uh, for those of you that missed it, I'm having my Rolex. I'm having a new dial done for my Rolex and I still haven't heard anything. I talked to Ricky, um, called him up and said, what's going on? It's been like three weeks. And he said, I haven't heard anything yet. You know, they're very busy and this and I'll call him next week. So I haven't heard a word. Uh, but like I said, patience wins the day. If you're not patient, you're in the wrong business. The only way you're going to get stuff done quickly is if you stand there and your watch person does it right in front of you, right then and there. Something simple, not, you know, overhauling or doing something major, simple stuff you can get done. Sometimes you can get it done right away. Sometimes, no. Okay, everybody. So this is Lee Jackson. I am America's finest watchman. <sighs> Just for you. How do you like that? Ain't that a kick? You got America's finest watchman, the man who started the whole business just for you, telling you on my podcast for free. You can get all the secrets, all the good times, all the bad times, all the fun, all the craziness. And boy, have I got more crazy stories for you. Holy mackerel. I got to think of them, though. See, the problem is they're so ingrained down there. I got to dig them out. All right. So let's talk about watches, shall we? That is what the show is about. So. Why not do that? Why not talk about watches? Hooray! Yay! Okay, so we are talking about watches, collecting. Um, in last uh, episode, we were talking about different brands. So let's go down that road. Let's keep talking about brands of watches for collecting. Now, if you're trying to collect and you don't want to spend a fortune, you don't want to go down the Swiss road where it's the really good Swiss stuff, you can get American watches from middle 50s, late 50s backwards that are made in the U.S. They're good quality. Um, they make not a lot of stainless. Most of the cases are gold-filled or real gold. That's kind of what you see. And gold-filled is okay if it's in really good shape and you don't wear it all the time where you're going to be buffing it because you can't buff gold-filled very much because it's gold, brass, gold fused together, and brass is most of it. So when you buff, if you buff it too far down, you hit the brass and it looks like hell. So that's something you really need to be cognizant and careful of. Okay, so Elgin's one of the oldest American watch companies. Waltham is, I think, the oldest. But Elgin's a good one. Started in Elgin, Illinois. Uh, they're very big on pocket watches. They were very big on wristwatches. Um, I think they were one of the biggest brands there was. And they were so large that kind of like GM had different levels of cars, you know, like Chevrolet, Buick, Cadillac kind of thing. And you step up as you go. Uh, Elgin did the same thing. They had Elgin watches. They had Elgin Deluxe and Lord Elgin. And of course, if it was a lady, it was Lady Elgin, not Lord Elgin. Uh, but most of the Elgins, you find some very interesting case designs and strange looking things with Elgin. And yet they had some really cool designs. If you want the tip top of the Elgin collectible line, it is the 50th anniversary Elgin wristwatch. That is the coolest thing. It's very expensive. It's very different looking. It has a hour hand that has like a round kind of a round end. It's kind of cool. Um, Elgin did everything. They were making watch. They were cranking out watches from the 20s on. Tons and tons and tons and tons of watches. 
They even made jump hour watches, which are the ones that have a little round disc inside the turn. So you only see numbers, you know, like a digital clock. Like it says 817, you see the number eight, the real number pops up. And then there's a dial on the bottom that says 15, 16, and it points at the 17. Um, they did those in the 50s, believe it or not, and they're very cool. There's an Elgin and a Lord Elgin that came out. Uh, the Elgin we used to call a golf ball because that's what it looks like. It's kind of round with pucker marks on it like a golf ball. And it has a little triangle at the very bottom where you can see the time. And again, it's on two discs. One disc is for hours. One disc is for minutes. And it reads it out directly. There's no hands. You just see the real numbers. And then there was a Lord Elgin version that was a kind of a tank looking thing. Uh, kind of cool. I mean, they're very cool. And they came in uh, gold filled. Yeah, gold plate. Let's see. The regular Elgin came in rolled gold plate. And the Lord Elgin came in 10 karat gold filled. So what's the difference? Gold plate is like electroplated. And gold filled, again, is a better quality um, of gold. It's gold, two pieces of gold, real thin, fused with brass in the middle. And they use those in pocket watches going back to the 1800s. So gold filled is okay. But you got to be careful again because you cannot buff it. And if you do, it's got to be a very light buff. You can't like get deep scratches out of it. Um, so Elgin started with Elgin, which was usually 15 to 17 joules. They had the Elgin Deluxe, which was the fancier version, like stepping up from a Chevy to a Buick. And the Elgin Deluxe usually was 19 joules. And then you had the Lord Elgin, the best. I'm Lord Elgin. Yay. That's usually 21 joules and better looking cases, better, better, more interesting looking designs. They had asymmetrical. They had very strange looking cases, especially when you hit the fifties. Elgin decided that they were going to go with asymmetrical and strange looking cases, weird looking watches, I guess, to set themselves apart. Remember, you had the atomic age going on in design with cars coming up with fins and stuff. So it kind of pops right in there with that atomic design and their stuff was really interesting. I'm looking at some of them and they're very cool cases. Mostly Lord Elgin's are the weird looking ones and Lord Elgin's are not a bad watch. Elgin was so popular and so big that they had their own observatory in Elgin, Illinois. Can you believe this? Just to time their watches. They had their own observatory. Nobody else did that but Elgin. So Elgin is good quality. Uh, Hamilton, I would say, is a bit better. Their movements are actually better, but Elgin is good. There's nothing wrong. If Hamilton's a 10, Elgin's a 9. So it's like right there. It's not a big difference. Uh, Hamilton's were not asymmetrical, not modernistic looking. Uh, Hamilton's, until they got to the electric Hamilton's. Hamilton's up to that point were very stodgy, antique looking, gothic looking. Uh, Elgin did everything. They ran the gamut from futuristic looking to antique looking. They made some very, very cool, cool cases. And if you go back to the 20s, Elgin had these chromed cases, which I find interesting. And you should stay away from chromed cases, and I'll tell you why. Because chroming is a process almost like painting, but it's electronically done, uh, just like gold plating. And that means metal is sticking to metal, and it's very thin. So what does that mean? That means chrome is going to wear out. And when it wears out, the only thing you can do is have it replated again. Uh, which a lot of times looks terrible. Why? Because you have to completely strip everything off to get all the detail to come back. Because it's like putting 
one layer of paint over another. Whatever the imperfections are and impurities and the detail is lost because you're filling it in with paint. So those cases I would stay away from. When you get to the Lord Elgin stuff, there's even some Lord Elgins I've seen that come in platinum too, which is cool. Um, there are some that come in 18 karat instead of 14. Most of the most of the Elgins are either, uh, if they're real gold, they're 14 karat. Now gold filled goes in 10 karat, 14 karat. They have all different ones. And what's the difference? Well, 10 is going to be a little tougher to scratch than 14 because it's not as pure, which means not as soft. Um, Elgins even go down to seven jewels. If you go back to the 20s, some of their watches have seven jewels. Now, seven, let's talk about jewels. How many jewels do you need, really need for a watch? It's kind of important. Um, you can see seven jewels. You can see five jewels. You can see 15, 17, 19, 21, 23, 25, and every other number up. How many do you really need? Okay, what does a jewel do is the first question. A jewel is just a cushion between two pieces of metal so that they don't rub each other to pieces and wear out. So they put something in between that's going to protect them, uh, kind of lubricate the two metals from hitting each other. And actually not really, it's like a little buffer inside of it. And they found that either synthetic or real jewels like these rubies are a very good way to cushion these parts without wearing them out or wearing out the jewel because it's tough. So how many jewels do you really need? Well, seven jewels, I can tell you off the bat, is not enough. So what's going to happen with a seven jewel watch? I would tell you, stay away. Don't buy a seven jewel watch. You're going to have problems. They're not going to run right. They're not properly made with enough jewels to really get them going. The minimum amount of jewels that I've seen is 15, believe it or not. 17 is a little better. And the more jewels, the merrier. All it does is just mean that you have more of your uh, pieces that won't have friction between them and wear because they'll have more jewels. Do you need more? Well, here's the real issue. Is it automatic? Is it complicated? The more things you got going on, the more jewels you need. So with an automatic watch, the amount of jewels is at least 21. Usually it's around 25 these days or more. Remember, you got to have jewels for where the, the weight swings, the pivot of the weight where you don't with a manual, so there you have to add jewels. Now, the standard for manual wind watches, which had started in the 30s, I think, or 40s, is, is about 17 or 18 jewels. You'll see older Vacherons with 17, newer ones with 18. We're talking about manual wind, regular timekeepers, no chronograph, no automatic. Paddock, for some reason, used a lot of 18 jewels. They didn't use a lot of 17 jewel movements, and they're both fine. I mean, they're both very good. I have Vacherons that have 17 jewel movements and they're killer. They run fantastic. The real minimum is 15 to 17 jewels. So when you see watches that advertise, oh, 38 jewels, I mean, that's great. But is it really going to do anything? If you take a really crapped out movement and add a lot of jewels to it, what good is that? You're just like polishing a turd. <laughs> just say it, but that's the truth. The better the movement, with a minimum or more amount of jewels is what you want. So like when you're looking at ETA movements, which are automatic, most of them, they're around 25 or 27 joules. That is enough. ETAs run great. And they run for a long time. And I have no problems with ETA movements. They just run, 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 run. Now, in the olden days, before the 80s, they were using a movement called A-Shield or AS. And I always thought it was a lousy movement they were using. But I've since changed my mind because I've 
picked up more stuff that has that movement in it, and it's pretty good. It's not a bad movement. They run pretty good. Do they run as good as an Etta? No. Etta is like, it's like a movement that has been tinkered with and tinkered with and messed with until it's really, really good. So they run. Uh, I don't have any problems. I bought many watches with Etta movements where I never did anything to them. They run perfect. They keep running perfect. It's like buying a Rolex. It, it just runs great. And no, I'm not saying the movement's the same as a Rolex. They're not. But they're not far off because Rolex uses Etta movements uh, in their Tudor line, which is pretty good. A lot of big companies use Etta movements like Cartier used Etta movements. A lot of them. Omega used Etta movements. I mean, I could tell you really, really good companies that use Etta movements. Ulysses Nardine, um, Gerard Perigo, a lot of them. Surprising. If they don't make their own movements, it's usually their less expensive stuff. It's not like their $20,000, $30,000 watches. It's their more normal watches where they don't find the need to either make a movement or put them in that watch and they use Etta's. So uh, Elgin did not use Etta. Elgin made their own movement. And then when Elgin decided... Uh, most of the American watch companies pooped out in the early 60s and sold out to Switzerland finally. And they put A-Shield movements in most of these watches when you hit the 60s. You can tell by looking at the dial, does it say Swiss made in Switzerland? If it says that, it's not American Elgin or Hamilton or uh, Waltham or any of those. You just look at what it says. It says Swiss on it. You know it's later. Now, what's the quality? Quality's not bad. They're not bad at all. Swiss watches that... Um, the Americans turn to the movements and so on. They're pretty good. Uh, okay, so let's go back. I want to talk about the uh, the enamel rectangle and round bezels that everybody seemed to be using. And some of these decorative bezels of the 20s, they're very cool. And we haven't really talked about it. But the American watch companies, remember, this is American only. We're not talking about Vacherons and all that uh, Elgin, Hamilton, Waltham, those kind of companies. In the 20s, they were very into decorative cases. I mean, more decorative than today. Today, cases are pretty plain. But if you look at stuff from the 20s, they had designs on the bezel that was actually stamped into the metal. They had bezels that were enamel. They're beautiful, the enamel bezels. There's a very famous Hamilton called the Piping Rock that's very famous from the late 20s. And it's got this black with silver enamel numbers around the edge of the bezels. Really cool. And Elgin did the same thing. Uh, with Elgin, they were mostly tanks and rectangles. With Hamilton's, they were round. So I'm looking at a couple of the Elgin's. I have one. It's gorgeous. It's a square. Really beautiful with a rectangular bezel that's done in a real enamel. Okay, I think, I think, I think, I think therefore I am. I think we need to take a break. So let's take a quick break for a couple seconds here. We'll be right back. Ooh, I dig that sexy music. That is some sexy music, baby. Some sexy music. Yeah, we like that music. Okay, so a lot of the watch companies in the 20s did very, very decorative bezels, and chrome cases were big too, by the way. Don't be surprised if you see a white gold-looking case that's real shiny, and that means it's probably chrome-plated. 
Um, they were very, let's see, they did Art Deco style. I love the 20s though, when they have these decorative cases. Sometimes the bezel's all stamped and etched and looks like it's carved in little designs and sometimes the side of the cases. They don't do that anymore. And I really like that idea. I think it's really beautiful when they did that. And I don't care if it says Elgin or what it says, I still like them. Even though, you know, it's hard for me to wear watches like that. I don't know. You just kind of evolve and you don't want to wear that stuff. Uh, I do see a lot of Elgins with cases like that. They also did a lot for, um, believe it or not, Elgin did aircraft watches in the 20s, early, early, early. They were called Elgin Avigo, A-V-I-G-O. And they were military kind of watches, but they were for pilots. And it just was a regular watch, but had very large. It only had 12, 3, 6, and 9, but very, very large. They did railroad watches. They had a lot of pocket watches for the railroads, but they also did some railroad uh, wristwatches. Like they did uh, B.W. Raymond was an Elgin. There's a whole bunch like that. And then they even had, look at this. They, that is really cool. In the, in the 50s, they, had a, they brought back an enamel watch, but had the Zodiac signs instead of the numbers. It's just kind of wild. No, they weren't doing anything. It was called the Lord Elgin Celestial. I wouldn't mind having one of those. But again, it's one of those enamel bezels. And sorry about that. Um, the, the problem with enamel bezels is they wear out and you can't fix them. You can touch them up, but you really can't fix them because it's enamel. And if they're really mashed up, there's no replacements available. Um, you can try to touch it up with a little touch of black paint, but that's not the greatest thing to do either. Um, okay, so they had a lot of uh, very cool Art Deco stuff, Elgin, in the 30s. Very cool. Okay, so that kind of ends our little Elgin talk, even though I like Elgin. For an American watch, it's very good. Uh, but there's a lot of other brands we could talk about. We talked about Eterna. Eterna is a very good watch, very reasonably priced, and very nice. Uh, another one that I used to like a lot, and these are mostly chronographs, is a company called Gallet, G-A-L-L-E-T. They were really reasonably priced chronographs, very good quality. Again, chronographs only use a, a few movements like uh, Venus and Valjoux and La Magna. There, there's about four or five different movements they can put in a chronograph because it was so expensive to make, so hard to do. Uh, they didn't make enough. It was economy of scale. You know, if I'm making a million of these movements and just give them out to everybody, that's going to be a lot cheaper than if you're a watch company, you're making 20 or 30 of them. I mean, what do you do? You got to make them. You got to do it. So you buy them instead. And that makes a lot more sense. So next one I would like to talk, I'd like to talk about. Would, we talk, would I like to talk about it? Yes, I would like to talk about it. Not really. Talked out today. Um, let's talk about Glass Chute. There are some German watch companies like uh, Lange & Sahn, Glass Chute, U-Boat. There's about, I don't know, five or six different makes. Very good quality. Very expensive. So don't be surprised if you find something like that because um, they can be very expensive. These, especially Glashut, made uh, watches for the German army back in World War II. So they're a very, very good company. They have very good watches. If you see any, grab them. Okay, next up is Glycine. 
And Glycine is a really interesting company. They're mostly military type watches, diving. They do a lot of airman watches. That's one of their lines, Glycine Airman, which I love, love, love. Uh, Glycine has been taken over by Invicta in the last 10 years or more. And I'm told the quality has gone down because Invicta, as you know, is a mass market, inexpensive watch. Yes, they have expensive watches, but they're just trying to cover the market. They're not really an expensive watch company. They make diver style watches with Japanese and Swiss movements, and they call it everything, but you know, the greatest watch in the world. And I've told you many times, if you buy crap, it's going to last like crap. It's just not. Okay. So when you buy Glycine, you can still buy the Airman. It's still around. They have a lot of different Airman designs, but I'll tell you why I like the Airman. This is many years ago. I used 20, 30 years ago. I wore a Glycine Airman. It's a very large watch in its day. Um, I'm trying to get a size. I can't get the size, but I remember it was big and it had a dial that had 24 numbers on it. And it told the time in GMT Greenwich mean time or 24 hour time, which is what uh, pilots and so on use. So you'd have to look, it would say 20 hundred hours. And there was a little, like the arrow that would point to 20 was a big arrow. And on the other side, there was a little pointer. And if you followed that little pointer across, it would tell you what time it was in regular time. So like 20 hundred hours, you follow the pointer it says eight o'clock. For those of you that can't subtract 12 from everything, you know, if I was a pilot or I was working on a, um, an air force base or something, and I needed to know uh, military time, this would be a good way to do it. So I used to wear, it's a big, heavy case, like a diver style watch with a black dial and white writing, small. And I used to wear it on the weekends. I really liked it. I thought it was a kick when you look at your wrist and it's telling you 1700 hours. They still make them. If you look at advertising for Glycine, you can see ones that say pre-Invicta, which means it's when Glycine was their own company and not owned by Invicta. And I would tell you, those are the ones you really want. The newer ones are somewhat less expensive to buy. I don't know how the quality is these days because I haven't bought anything from them. But I used to really like Glycines. I've had antiques that are really good. It's kind of a weird name, but they make good watches. But remember, Glycine is not really a dress watch. So they did make some, but they're kind of ugly. Not the greatest. You want to get a sport watch, Glycine's your man. Okay, next up is Gruen. Gruen is a very interesting company. Been around a long time. Um, they're usually made in all the parts are made in Switzerland. And they were assembled at Time Hill which was their little area in Cincinnati, Ohio. They made their cases at their plant in Cincinnati. They also had contracts with American and Swiss companies to make their cases too. And some parts of Gruen movements, especially their doctor watches, which are the long tanks with two dials, are interchangeable with, guess who? Rolex, because they use the same movements. So Gruen and Rolex were hooked up. This is, we're talking in the 20s and 30s though. That's a long time ago. So Gruen's an interesting company. They're not really American, but they kind of are. I mean, they found a way to do it they and make it in, in Switzerland, bring it to the U.S. and call it a U.S. watch. And what they did was they circumvented the taxes and the tariffs by doing a lot of this stuff. Um, now, there's only one Curvex watch, and it's the Gruen. They patented the name. And Curvex means it's, on a, it's a long tank on a curve which kind of fits your wrist. 
another thing Gruen had that I thought was very cool is they had driver's watches. These are little square tank watches that have completely long movable lugs that swing around. So it could go on the side of your wrist, like on the small, the thin side of your wrist, you know, the side of your wrist. It would sit there. The lugs would actually grab onto the side of your wrist and you could drive the car and watch, look at the watch. So that was kind of important back then. Um, Gruen has some of the most curved, I mean, massively curved watches that I have ever seen. I've had some Gruex, uh, sorry, Gruen Curvex curved watches that are so curved, you wouldn't believe it. They did a lot of doctor's watches. What's a doctor's watch? The hour and the minutes is on the top in its own little register or dial. And on the bottom, there's a big dial for seconds. And the reason they did that was so doctors could take your pulse. Yeah, you know, that's kind of an interesting idea. Take your pulse, and be able to do it properly as a doctor. So those were called doctor watches. And Gruen made a lot, and so did Rolex, believe it or not. And Gruen was very famous for their curved cases. They were called, again, Curvex. They made tons and tons and tons. Gruen quality was very good. Believe it or not, their movements and everything were quite good. Um, they made watches in the 20s like Elgin that had fancy cases with enamel bezels. Not as good looking, of course. Stamped cases that had um, scroll work done into the case itself. And I'm looking at ones that look exactly like an Elgin or a Hamilton with the enamel bezels. But remember this, Gruen is a good company, but they're kind of, I don't know what it is. Their identity is kind of lost. You never know what exactly it is. Is it made in Switzerland? Is it made here? Is it good quality? Is it not? They're kind of all over the place, but they did make some very good watches. They made some very expensive watches. And there are people that collect Gruen Curvex watches, and they're very cool. I mean, for a tank watch, if you're going to collect American, I like Hamilton. But if you want something with a curve, there's nothing like a Curvex. They're absolutely beautiful watches. They really are. Okay, next up is Gublin. Gublin is a jewelry store in Switzerland. And they would import other people's movements and started making their own watches with other people's movements in it. And some of their watches are worth a hell of a lot of money. They've been around a long time. They have some beautiful movements, beautiful cases. Um, if you could find a Gublin, it's G-U-B-E-L-I-N, inexpensive, I would say jump on it. Those are very good watches, even though you're going to go, I never heard of it. A lot of people haven't. They did jump hours. They did one called a chronoscope, which is very cool. I think Vacheron copied. That's gorgeous. Made by Robert Cart. Uh, yeah, that's like a $15,000 watch from the 20s, believe it or not. Very expensive. They made jump hours. They made skeletons. They made watches that look like antique radiators. Made some very cool watches. Used good movements in them, and they hold their value. Gublin is good. That's one watch if you're trying to find something and you don't want to spend an absolute fortune and get something really good, you could look at a Gublin. Maybe you could find one. Remember, there are jewelry stores that actually market their own watch brands. And some of these jewelry stores like Tiffany are pretty high-end. Van Cleef & Arpels, Tiffany, Gublin. I could name 10. Black Star and Forest. Um, who's some of the other ones that I know you're going to jump on me and say, well, I didn't just say this. or I just can't remember them all at one time. But there's a bunch. There's a French one, Chamay, uh, Boucheron, Bouchelotti. Uh, what's the other one? There's like three Bs. 
All right. Well, you'll find them. I, I'm sure you will. They're very cool and they're very good. Okay. So we're almost at the end of our time. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a little bit about Hamilton's. We talked about them before, but I want to just touch on Hamilton. Hamilton is a great American watch company. I mean, great Lancaster PA. Their movements were excellent. Their watch quality was excellent. Their designs, everything. And in the late fifties, they came out with the first electric watch the Hamilton Electric and their case designs went atomic at that point. They're really asymmetrical, crazy looking, future Futurama looking watches. Very cool. But Hamilton mostly was um, gothic looking with a lot of times they're gold filled tank watches. Most people don't realize this. The numbers are 18 or 14 carat that are applied on the dial. I mean, real 14, 18, not plated, not uh, gold filled, none of that real. And they're beautiful, their dials. So I like Hamilton's and I love their, their uh, presence in the late twenties with the enamel bezels. They're absolutely as cool as can be. All right. So we need to stop here. I don't want to stop here, but we have to, because it's time. Tis time, my friends, tis time. So we're going to say goodbye to you now. See you next time. This is Lee Jackson, America's Finest Watchman, saying goodbye. It's been a real pleasure, folks. Got to tell you, love it, love it, love it, love it to death. So if you're a watch nut like me, you're going to be back, and we're going to entertain and educate. See you later.